Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord of mercy, all night Sunday central. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Bomb Diaries podcast. This is day four of four straight. I'm finally holding up my end of the bargain, whether you're sick of it or not. This may be the same amount of podcasts that I've done the entire year up until this week. Let's take a look at the episode list just to see what I've put forth this year. Let's see. Yeah, so in 2020, before this week, there were one, two, three, four, five episodes in the entire year. What a lazy, bum bastard. This week, we've already had three. This is number four. And I'm speaking to you from a new piece of equipment in the studio. I got new microphone stand arms, those things I'm hands-free now, baby, so I could just talk trash to you with no fatigue. It never ends now. I'm just going to do marathons and filibuster. I could, I might just hook this up to my bedroom and podcast to you until I fall asleep. If there was a live function, your eardrums would be in trouble. Thank you all for listening again. Um, I had a, My last episode was with Lexi Stefania Galvez Lopez, the lovely. Um, so we didn't get to some things that I told you I was going to get to the day before in case you were waiting on those cliffhangers. I'm having a tough time sleeping these days because it's a stressful time and there's a lot to do on the old day job and sweating over comedy because I'll tell you what, folks, it is difficult, at least for a man like me to try to build a following. I don't know if you've heard by my complaining for the last couple of years, but it is not my strong suit, and it is difficult. And so I thought I had one more avenue. It may only be TikTok left. I may have to break down and get one of these damn things, and and I don't know what. Start doing a seductive Carol Baskin dance. Who knows? But I've been struggling to sleep, and... So I'm looking for sleep aids. I've been taking melatonin because I want to stay natural. But I'll tell you what, if you want to watch a program that is wonderful to fall asleep to, number one. But number two is fantastic entertainment and unintentional comedy. Um, I don't know what channel this is on. It's on, it's on something like Prime Network here. It's right below ESPN, but they've got a powerlifting league. Like when I was a kid, they used to do World's Strongest Man, and you would just watch that year's competition. But now they have a season where these strong men travel around the globe, and they do different competitions, I guess, every, every week or every month throughout the year. And it is, it's a great thing to fall asleep to because it's pretty relaxing. It's repetitive. It's quiet. You're watching them do the same thing for a long time. It's not quick camera shifts, so it's it's good like that. doesn't really have you on the edge of your seat. It's pretty monotonous. It's strange, and it's absurd, and it's admirable because these guys are huge and stronger than anything you've ever seen in your life. There's dudes pulling big rigs. They have them carrying telephone poles and shit, and then they just do weird stuff like they'll – They'll put <laughs> they'll put a thousand pounds on a log and give the log like no handle. It'll be a metal 
rectangular handle that's just built to rip your hand off. And basically, mostly these Eastern European, Slovak, Viking, um, Nordic, gigantic dudes are just picking these things up and walking for 14 miles at a time. Or they'll pick up a beer barrel and throw it up over the top of a wall 40 feet in the air. And they'll do that seven times. Or they'll just pick up gigantic stones the size of the studio that I'm speaking to you from and place them on a platform six and seven at a time and race while they do it. It's ridiculous. You've seen it before, but to watch it in a seasoned format is ridiculous. There's just powder flying everywhere, but the best part of it that makes it unintentional comedy, and you got to watch this, even if you go to YouTube, just watch powerlifter interviews because after each person, because they got to fill an hour, right? And they've only got, you know, six events for each one of these heats so they have to fill the space so they've got to interview each power lifter after they complete their event for each event so what you're doing is they're putting a microphone in front you know how they do that and by the way you'll admire professional athletes more for how they are in front of a microphone i always roll my eyes at pro athletes and post-game interviews and in-game interviews for how kind of boring and monotonous they are how little they say yeah we just went out there and we competed, you know. We had to go out there and compete. Uh, it was stacked against us in the end, but we just pulled together as a team. And you know when we do what we do? You know, we could beat anybody We could beat anybody in this league. We could be competitive. So we just got to go out there and compete, compete. We got to compete. We got to compete. We got to get out there and play like a team, compete. We got to execute. It's just, it's just these vague verbs that really mean nothing. We got to compete. We got to compete, fellas. What's that mean? I don't know. Just compete. Don't question, yo, if you want to, not to be a dick, but if you want, when you talk to pro athletes or on the verge of pro athletes, it becomes evident that a major, a, a lot of them, I won't say a majority, but a lot of them, when you talk to them, it becomes clear that they have thought about nothing but their sport and their particular role in that sport for the entirety of their life. So you get that, but you respect it more when you see what the non-big-time stud athletes do, like these power lifters, they're insanely strong, but they're not, they're not the same as an NBA star. Well, they don't have the same coaching as an NBA star either on how to conduct themselves on the microphone, but they're, so, they're super humble, so it's nice to see, but they just, you know, you'll watch them carry a stone 45 miles at a time. And they drop this thing, and you're like, wow, that guy made it look like it's nothing. But also, these guys are like 330 pounds, five foot six of just balls of muscle. So, like, they're sweating and breathing and panting. They sound like baby bulldogs, basically. <laughs> anyway, and they just exerted themselves physically. So, when they get to the microphone, it's so clear. You know, they have like a former bodybuilder or just a big guy interview them and say, oh, Magnus, you know, you really powered through at the end there. Do you think this is enough to catapult you into the top three? And he's like, yes. Because they, they, they all speak English, which makes them smarter than me because I only speak one language. Uh, and they articulate pretty well from wherever they're from. But they all have that Andre the Giant giant voice. Yes. I kind of did. So what ha when you carry the stone, what was it that made you go into that extra gear? Yes, I, I picked up the stone. And they're, out of, <laughs> they're falling apart. And they're out of breath. And they're about to drop over. And you could tell there's, 
there's probably not a ton going through the brain of somebody who's living is to just pick things up. I pick things up. Things are heavy and I pick them up. Impractically, by the way, there's no purpose for the things they pick up. It's not like they're on a job. They're picking up things no one would ever have to pick up ever. And it's it's a man versus machine issue. They're, they've perfected a skill that's been overtaken hundreds of years ago. Any You could take a crane or a cherry picker, someone that just knows how to use mechanical equipment. If you just took a crane would win every powerlifting competition in the world. That's what makes sport unique normally is that only specific individual human beings can do it and no other human beings or machines can replicate it or do it as well. If we could make those Amazon bots that run really fast play basketball better than LeBron James or play football better than Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, we would watch them do it. But we, but there is no machine that can do that, so we watch human beings do it. There are tons of machines that can do powerlifting competitions insanely better than powerlifters, but there's something about it that they still do it. So my guess is there's not a whole lot of philosophy going through that brain that that's pursued that path it would take it would take willful ignorance to continue focus on that pattern to get good enough to be a professional not to mention complete physical exhaustion and so it's just the most basic interview you've ever heard in your life of a man trying not to fall over and lose his breath but also very humble so it's sweet and endearing and so, and so it's like, Magnuson, how did you carry that stone 45 miles? Well, I picked up the stone and I, you know, I feel good. I feel good when I picked it up and I, when I train, this is, this is good event for me. I don't know what happened to my accent there, but it, it's more easy. I pick up stone and walk for 40 feet and 40 feet feel good. It felt not good for like 45 to 55 feet. And, and so then I stopped for a second and then did for 55 to 90 miles. He's like, all right, do you think that's enough to push you into the big three? Like the interviewer always tries to get him to talk a little shit. Do you think that's enough to push you into the top three? Are you better than the competition? Oh, I don't know. I'm just happy. To, I'm just happy to get done. Happy to be here. It looks like number two now. So... You know, we'll see. Or if they know they're not going to be in the top three. Do you think you're going to be in the top three? No. Uh, three, at least five people better than me. But I work hard. And it's like, oh, my God. I want to laugh. But this is the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. Even the winner, they're like, how did you do it? I just had good day. Are you this much better than the competition? No, I, I black out. And when I wake up stone on platform, I love everyone here. We're all giants. Um, no one understand. Thank you. And then, and then the only charisma they have is they walk away and they all do the same thing to the crowd. Like they all give the same pump up to the crowd where they're like, yeah! and, but still smile. I don't know. Yeah! And still a smile and everybody. And they're these like little tiny five foot four cutesy Belgian women that are like, yay. And I, I don't know if it's a I don't know if they're like sumo wrestlers um, in their level of popularity in the in the Slovak region. Who knows? 
Uh, but it's fantastic. If you want something to fall asleep to or just something to really enjoy and relax to, highly recommend. Although I've been watching them until midnight every night because I can't give up. So maybe don't listen to me. Okay. That said, I talked before about having difficulty building an audience and being out of options. Thank you for listening, by the way. One fascinating aspect is that audiences don't really cross over. I've got an audience base here, and you all don't really don't really mess around with my Instagram or Facebook, oddly enough. Uh, I don't promote it very well, so not oddly enough. I've got a Facebook following, not of much, maybe 1,000, 1,100. They don't migrate to the Instagram, and it doesn't seem like they listen to the podcast either. I've got not much of an Instagram following at all because I, I, I don't put anything on it at all. But they don't come over to Facebook, and they don't. Some of them may come over to the podcast. I don't know. And my Twitter is a wasteland. Forget about that. I've got 90 followers. I'm never going to have more than 91 I'm about to deactivate the account because I, I'm starting to feel like no one should be getting any sort of news or updates or information from Twitter, certainly not me. And it's also the home of stolen material and stolen content. The only things I've ever put on Twitter that did well were stolen right after I did them. Like I had one that had either a couple hundred or a couple thousand likes, which is good for me. And then someone stole it, reposted it maybe an hour later and got like 115,000 likes on it. So I just posted mine, timestamped with theirs, timestamped in their comments, and everybody started giving me shit like I was the bad guy. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe Twitter's just not for me. So that's that. But anyway, I've kind of been on the outside hearing about Reddit for a couple of years, but didn't really know what it was. Checked it out a little bit, and then I was like, oh, maybe this is how people get their videos on. And this is this could be where I find my audience that comes with me because short of as you heard in the last episode betting a publicist i don't know what else to do so i signed up for reddit and here's where i mentioned that it was one of the creepiest things i've ever seen in my life i signed up for reddit and all i did was put in my email address and a password basically and when i did that a little thing a little pop-up came and it showed suggested groups I join, and then groups that just auto-joined for me based on what it thought my interests were. Again, I've never been on Reddit in my life. All I did was put in my email address and password, and they nailed things that, I would, that, I, that I, are part of me. They signed me up for three comedy groups, maybe four, they signed me up for two student loan groups where I paid a student loan that day. I paid two student loans that day. And then after that, I went to Reddit, signed up for this, and they put me in two groups involving student loans. I got out of those. I try not to think about the student loans as much as possible. It's painful enough to watch the money go out of the account once a month. I don't really want to mix it in as a hobby and get the trade journals about how much money Uncle Sam's taken back from me. So there was that. And then MMA things, UFC things, which again, I've made a comedy video about the UFC recently, but I've never checked anything out on Reddit about the UFC. They signed me up for this shit. Very creepy. And so anyway, I was like, well, at least, the, you know, so I started uploading some stuff to YouTube so that I could put it on the Reddit. And I thought, great, I'll 
put it on the Reddit, and then maybe someone will upvote it, and I'll get, you know, who knows? I, I'm not asking for much. Maybe I get a 1,000 views on a video, and that's cool. That's enough to keep me going for another six weeks. So today, I'm like, all right, at 3 p.m., I'll put some videos up because it'll be 6 p.m. on East Coast time. Maybe people will see it and upvote it. Maybe it'll catch on a little bit, and then, and then by the time after work hits on the West Coast, it'll be upvoted a little bit, and they can check it out. Maybe I get 200 views, 300 views, whatever. Even if they don't like it, people are seeing it. I'm taking a step forward in my comedy life and trying a new thing. Posted this one video, the UFC video, to four different pages. All four. It kicked me out. It said, the moderators have blocked your submission. And I'm like, why? Follow the rules? I made sure that this fit the rules of whatever. And I found out that you can't post things in certain pages, most pages, until you've been in the Reddit community for a certain amount of time and until you've earned enough stock, which they call karma, I guess, which from what I understand is you comment on other people's posts and those comments get upvoted. So it's not even enough I participate. I've got to participate to please the group. And every group that I'm in, it just looks like it's filled with a bunch of angry shitheads, which I can't bring. Those are the people I'm trying to avoid. So I don't know why, by the way, 100 karma points I need to even start posting. So that means I need to get 100 karma likes from people who seem completely miserable and bitter and angry and all that stuff, which I am, but I'm not a hater. And so now I'm just looking at this like, Jesus Christ. And then in two, at least two of the groups, there were other rules, like the video has to be at least three to six months old. So if I post a YouTube clip, it's got to sit on YouTube for at least three to six months before I could even post it in the group. And it's like, Jesus Christ, everybody's got these rules. And so it completely took, took the steam out, took the wind out of my sails. And so now I'm kinda, it's kind of out of options. My only options left are just to go waves crashing against the beach and just see what eventually happens if maybe just, you know, just maybe by happenstance or luck, something catches in the wind and takes off. That's about it. That's about all I have is to throw Hail Marys. I'm 34 years old, so I've got to basically throw Hail Marys from the time from right now until it works or until I can't take it anymore and I've got to quit the business. So <laughs> chrisflail.com, submit your predictions on how soon I will quit the business. For Okay, pick them, two pick them. Pick them number one. Will I get something to take off before I cannot take it anymore and quit the business? All right, pick them number one. A, here's your options. Which, which thing will happen first? A, will I produce something that takes off and gets me a following? B, will I get sick of it and quit the business? C, will I die still trying to get something to take off and gather me a following? Chris.flail at gmail.com. Make your predictions. Or if you have me on social media, which 90% of you don't, uh, message me on social media and I will try to remember to do the tally and tell people how it shook out during the next episode or maybe next week after I've given enough of you time to give it a listen. Pick them number two. What the hell was pick them number two going to be? Pick them number one was whether that was going to happen. Oh, pick them number two. If your prediction is that I quit or die, or even if it's not, if 
let's assume I quit or die before I get popular, okay? How long will that take? Is it a day, a week, a month, a year? I've quit comedy three times this month. So be liberal with your selections. Chris.Flail at gmail.com at Chris Flail on all social media. Chris Flail Comedy on Facebook for you to not message, follow, friend, and confirm if I've tried to track you down before. And so there's that. Those are the thoughts on my brain. And by the way, um, I'm going to get out of here with a quick touch on an old story that you may have heard before. I can't remember. This week is the anniversary of my first and only true theater gig. I did a gig in a 2,000-seat theater where a young man with a lot of ambition was trying to launch a dating app and a coaching, a men's coaching app, if you can imagine. He wanted to coach men to be better, to dress better, to think better, to be winners, to be more attractive to the sex of which they admire, and to, I don't know, life hack, whatever the hell they call that stuff. So he kind of put made it his life's work and life savings into doing this. And so he scheduled a show at a theater, a 2,000-seat theater, and he got a YouTube star as the headliner. He got a VH1 star as the feature act um, who had been doing stand-up for only a little while. He got myself and another local comedian. God, I feel like I just talked about this, but I'm, I almost know I have it. Apologies if you're hearing this again and you just did recently. Myself and another local person. Then he had a sex therapist, wardrobe coach, dating coach, a Playboy playmate from like 1996. I don't understand exactly why that was. And then he got a radio affiliate to join on. And so I'm like, this is, this is probably not going to like take off. Take, you know, most apps don't turn out to be Tinder. But, you know, there's a chance. And this man was confident. And I don't know about you, but I'm so not. People think I'm confident because I know how to, like I can speak articulately and well and I, I'm not shaky and I think I've failed so much that it doesn't scare me anymore so I'm I come off as confident but I'm so insecure and self-conscious and self-critical that when someone's extremely confident toward me the first thing I think of is they must know something I don't they must know what they're talking about or know how to do this Otherwise, why would one be so confident? I would, for me to be as confident as this person is, I would have to be so sure of my skills or the outcome. It would have to be, it would have to be an, a, just a given, undeniable certainty that this was going to go well. My man had this enthusiasm, the promoter booking the show. So I'm like, my guess is this doesn't go gangbusters, but. I've been wrong before. I don't know this world. And this guy just seems so sure of what's about to happen. Maybe he knows something I don't. So on we go. And we're doing the thing to promote this stuff. And they're doing videos. And they're doing radio spots. And they're doing ads. And they're doing... I mean, it's a whole thing. Give the guy credit. He was thorough. He was doing that stuff on top of his game. 
And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe this is a thing. And we're doing a gig at a theater, and it was kind of an ask by the theater's manager for two kind of local guys, and, and we were the guys that, that took the bullet. So you're kind of earning favor there and p- kind of putting your name in the hat, your foot in the door, so maybe they'll call you back for another thing, right? Great. So the day of the show, we get together four hours before showtime to do a uh, a walkthrough, dress rehearsal, whatever you would call it. And we're on the stage, and I'm just at this point remarking at how beautiful a theater stage is. It's empty because it's dress rehearsal. But I'm just looking out on the seats going, wow, this is everything I thought it would be. And I'm not one of these like woo-woo guys or anything like that. But for the longest time, until, of course, the hope was burned out of me, I had this vision in my head of me preparing to do a comedy special. Like I've had dreams about it before where I'm sitting in the green room and I'm looking down at my jeans and my black shoes and I'm waiting to be called out. And and I'm looking at my, my legs and shoes as I get up out of the chair and walk out and walk through the theater curtain and walk out to the stage where I look at the seats and I look at the light bounce off the stage and bounce off my shoes. And I'm telling you when I'm standing out there for dress rehearsal, it looked and felt almost exactly like that. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe this becomes something. And so I go to the guy who's promoting the show and I say, hey, how many people you think are coming tonight? What's, how, are, how are ticket sales going? And he goes, well, it's tough to say how sales are going, but I think we'll have at least 500 people here. And I said, oh, 500. Now, again, this is a 2,000-seat theater, so 500 people, not fantastic, but 500 people would be the biggest venue, that the biggest crowd that I've performed in front of. And when you're in a theater, you can curtain off things or block it off or kind of bunch it down. I've been in in a 2,000-seat theater that had only about 500 to 1,000, and it was still fun. So I said, "Why why do you think at least 500? And he looked at me and he said, well, that's how many free tickets I've handed out, so I know we'll have that many come, and then we'll just see how many buy tickets. Okay. That told me two things. Number one, no one bought tickets because we'll see who buys tickets is a bad sign. And when someone asks you how sales are doing and you only tell them how many tickets you've given away, that means you've sold zero. So that's where we're at, number one. And number two, my heart immediately broke for this man because I don't know what he spent, but it had to be in the 10 to tens of thousands of dollars range to put this thing together. And from running many, many shows and being part of many, many shows and just being astute and intuitive, what I know and what you might know is that when you give someone a free ticket, they don't look at that and go, oh, what a deal. I'm definitely coming out to this show tonight. They look at a free ticket that you've given them for doing nothing to earn it, and they go, oh, a free ticket to a show. Well, if nothing else in my life happens on Saturday night and I still want to go outside and have nowhere else to kill time, maybe I'll stop by. 
And so I know if you hand out 500 free tickets, about 20 to 30 are going to show. And I know that because I was doing free shows in the way back, back, back when I was four to six months into comedy. And we handed out 500 to 1,000 free ticket flyers. And maybe 20 or 30 people showed up for that. And they were assholes because they didn't pay anything and felt like they just deserved the show and didn't do anything to take part ownership in it. And so I know we're in trouble. And sure enough, the night happens and uh there are 100 throughout the entire course of the night at the height of the crowd's turnout there were 112 people in a 2000 seat theater now they brought out i think they brought out one or two people first then the no they might have brought out the comedians we comedians first. So my buddy went out first and he performed. Then I went out and I performed to 112 people and my girl, including my girlfriend and his wife. And they were sitting next to each other because they're good friends. And the idea of the show was for there to be a panel on the stage and for everyone to sit together while you're not performing. So you're performing with a whole panel of people staring at your ass cheeks. And it, it looked like there were more people on the panel than in the audience. And it was close. So I finished my set and it's just, you know, you're trying to make it go all right. But what does all right mean? Because it's not 112 people sitting in the same section. It's 112 people sitting amongst probably a thousand seats it's a 2,000 seat theater but they're spread out over a thousand seats 112 people so it really looks like there's 30 so you're doing what you can and finally we sit down and thank god we were off early and we're sitting there and we're just looking and we're bushwhacked and like oh my god and my buddy nudges me and he goes he goes dude i think we know half the people in this crowd and i look back at him and i said buddy i I think we bang half the people in this crowd and we just looked at our we, we looked at our uh respective women and just laughed about it. And then there was an intermission of course because the only thing better than a 112 person show for a 2000 seat venue is one that goes 5 hours. So we did we did our time we did our time and we did a full rotation and then did an intermission in between and basically half the crowd left at intermission and maybe 10 other people joined and so f with si 70 people 60 people remaining in the crowd they did the back half of the night which was another you know hour and a half and because they did q a after each performance and sure enough um the the show let's just say the show went off the rails one of the performers was scheduled to do 25 minutes of comedy and about the last 10 minutes was a mickey mouse impression Mickey Mouse arguing with Minnie Mouse on the way to dinner. And it was complete crickets, dead silence. It was maybe the most awkward moment I had seen in stand-up comedy. And myself and and the main radio guy, who's who's a well-known guy, we actually don't speak to each other much, oddly enough. We dance, we dance around each other a lot. Like we're in outsides of the same circles a lot. And every time we get together, every time we're around each other, we have a good time of like, yeah, we can't like... 
we vibe, but we don't really we don't really mix with each other. I don't know what that it's some weird thing. But on this particular like I said, whenever we're around each other, we we have a good time. And on this particular night, I'm sitting on a stool watching this craziness unfold. He's he's got to go back out there after every performer. And so he's st- and he knows how to do it cuz he's a, he's got chops as a radio guy. So he knows how to drum up enthusiasm. But still, it takes some out of you. So he's over there trying to summon summon the courage and exercise the demons and i look at him and we're about five feet apart ten feet apart and he look i look at him and i give him a smile when this person started the mickey mouse impression and he looks at me and i just give him a nod and he goes sometimes nothing even needs to be said and we start laughing like school children and then i turn around because i hear someone go what what and I turn around and it's the promoter in a full suit, fedora, all that stuff, watching us laugh our balls off. And I got so ashamed because I know this had to be like the, if he's got any awareness, it's got to be like the hardest night of his life. And I feel awful. But also like separating that if he's not around and is never going to hear it, it's hilarious. It's hilarious, the whole scenario. But it's not funny in his face. I didn't want to make him upset on his worst day. So I turn around and I saw he saw us laughing as hard as we were. And I just I just jumped out of my seat and sprinted away. And I sat, I, I ran upstairs to our dressing rooms and just sat there for about a half an hour composing myself until I knew I wouldn't laugh to come back down and tell everyone they did a good job. So with that said, I believe it's the two-year anniversary of that. The next week, I got a call from a buddy, um, Joe Alanis, actually, who said, oh, the promoter uh, the promoter for the Fox Theater shows just called me. Tiffany Haddish is coming to town, and her opener is missing, and they need, they need somebody there. And I told him I'm out of town. I, I can't do it. And he said, do you know anybody else that can do it? And this guy said, yeah, my buddy, my buddy Chris, without a doubt. And so this is at 2 p.m. And I get I get so excited of like, this is it. Like I I took a bullet from the universe and the universe is now, you know, you, you start to feel like, oh, my God, this could be. And so I start I start combing out my material to get the exact 20 minutes that I think is of my act. that's perfect for a Tiffany Haddish show that complements, you know, her act and would be fitted for the crowd and wouldn't step on her material but wouldn't be such a deviation away from the material that it's a weird night. I I mean, I spent two hours just making this thing, putting this together and making it razor sharp and punching up some stuff and getting it ready in my head and, and watching old Tiffany Haddish specials to, like, find things about her that I like so I can like have an appreciation when I get there not just of the gesture but of the act and like make myself a good opener and at okay and and by the way my girlfriend and I are doing a double date with another couple a comic and his wife and this is our like first double date together and it was already planned so I called and I'm like hey can't do I, I I can do dinner I can come downtown to meet with you guys but I gotta leave early to go to the theater 
because I'm doing a Tiffany Haddish show. And they're like, holy shit, that's amazing. I'm like, I know. I just got the call. I'm so sorry, but I'm going to only be able to hang out for a half hour, an hour. They're like, no problem. You know, it's whatever. And so I call the promoter back. I'm like, all right, where do I go? You know, this and that, this and that. Can I get a ticket for my girlfriend so she can come to see it? And I don't hear anything back. And then all of a sudden at like 5.30 as I'm about to go out the door, I get a call from the promoter. And I was like, hey, you know, on my way to head down, I'm about to ask questions. He goes, oh, actually, she found her opener, so we're good. Huh? Yeah, we're good. So we don't we don't need you anymore. I'm like, you don't you don't need me. I don't like I don't I don't have there's no place on the show anymore. Nope. The opener's there, so you know, and I didn't have the presence of mind to really try to be like, Hey, I was taking one for the team. Can I just get like ten minutes on the show or something? I was just like I was so shell shocked because I would never do this to somebody. And this is a big time promoter. It's one of the biggest in the world. And I'm just shell-shocked, and I'm like, uh, all right. I said, well, if anything changes or there's anything I can do on the show please or future shows, please let me know. I'd love to do it. And he's like, yep, absolutely. I'll keep you in mind, and you know, maybe we'll be in touch someday. <laughs> like, he didn't say, like, you know, hey, really sorry, but I got two free tickets for you if you and your girl want to come watch the show. He didn't say, you know, not like just, just done. And now I'm in the spot of like, I just told my buddy and his wife who we're double dating with that I'm going to go open for Tiffany Haddish at a jam-packed 2,000 seat theater. So they're thinking like, wow, this kid's, you know, whatever. And now I'm like, well, what do I do? Do I go to dinner and tell them there? The only thing, it's going to be, embarrassing and weird and ridiculous but the only thing more embarrassing and weirder and ridiculous than that is if I call them or text them ahead of time and go hey never mind I'm not opening for Tiffany Haddish we can stay at dinner longer what why spring that on them so they're driving the whole way there like god I hope he doesn't kill himself with the steak knife and so I chose the latter and we got there and I told him the story we had a good laugh about it and they hid the steak knife from me and the rest was history so um tiffany haddish i know you're an avid listener of the podcast of course um i almost opened for you one day and who knows what that could have done for my career but your goddamn opener um decided to be professional at the last minute so please please don't thank her for me on that by the way shout out to you for dating one of my favorite rappers common now allegedly so there's that's fantastic there's the cheese may hour by Chris Flail. That's all I want to say to you guys tonight. 40 minutes by myself is uh, is in one sense good and in the other sense disgusting and self-aggrandizing and, and something I really sh shouldn't be doing because it feels like the diaries of a madman. But we did it and I'll get you another one tomorrow and then Wednesday the return of everybody's favorite co-comic and co-host of this Joe Jose Alanese we're going to talk about all kinds of shit. Annie just got a new house, and I was over there to see it over the weekend. It's beautiful. And we're starting a new podcast, sports podcast. We'll tell you more about that maybe as long as we're sure we're going to record our first episodes over the weekend. Uh, and so stay tuned for that. Look forward to talking to you soon. Have a good one. Hold your head when the beach up,